dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Okay, so first off, do you have a temperature? Do you have a cough? We, You should know, people, that there is at least two and a half feet between Kayleen and I, so we are practicing social distancing. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. It's really not funny to talk about COVID-19 or, or the coronavirus because um, we are seeing in seven days a, a lot of change and it's happening daily with the situation. So by the time you guys hear this, there may be um, more developments and things. But uh, Kayleen, yeah, so we, um, we got our first cases of coronavirus earlier this week on the shores of the United States. Uh, Italy has shut down, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, China and South Korea and parts of Asia and lots, part, a lot of parts of Europe are having problems. Um, okay, so let's first off, COVID-19 coronavirus, what basically it is. The doctors that uh, at the World Health Organization say that it is a novel coronavirus. And coronavirus is part of the family that's of SARS and MERS and even the common cold. So it's a virus, first off. Now, what makes this different from influenza A or influenza B or or the common flu that we know that has been around for, you know, thousands of years and that the human herd has either developed testing for, has developed some natural immunities to, has de- has had time to develop immunizations for, vaccines, um, treatment methods, protocols. This is brand new. There's a reason why they call it novel coronavirus, Kayleen. It's because it came out of China in December the first reports were out of China in December. Mm-hmm. They still don't know how long it had been spreading in China, to what extent it had spread in China. That was just one guy coming to the World Health Organization and raising a, a red flag. So that's December, January, February. We're into March. This is four months. And stuff's kind of developing fast, <laughs> uh, you might say. Um, so here's the problem. A of all... It spreads, you can shed the virus without even having any symptoms. So, like the flu, where you can shed the virus, typically when you're shedding the virus of the flu, though, you have symptoms. You're sniffling, you're sneezing, you're hacking, you're wheezing. You've got the ache and the grip and all of that. With coronavirus so far, they have pondered and and posited that you can actually shed that virus up to two weeks, I hear, Kayleen, before you ever even have a sniffle. So you're going about for two weeks, that's seven, seven to 14 days, minding your own business, going around, touching surfaces, shaking hands, kissing babies, shaking babies, kissing hands, whatever you want to say. Um, 
you're going to the store, you're going and visiting grandma at the nursing home, you're going to a sporting event to watch your kids that are playing in a tournament with nine other schools. See where I'm going with this? Yeah. So you can shed that for two weeks and then walk on and never know what who all you came into contact with. So this is, and, and they're still trying to figure out the treatment protocols. So we know with the flu, Tamiflu works. Great. That's awesome. Go and get your Tamiflu. And if you nip it quick, quick in the bud with the flu, you're good to go. COVID-19, we don't know. We know kind of how to, you know, do the therapies. The doctors know a little bit about the therapies, but they are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, coming out of Italy, I heard reports to yesterday of nurses that were saying, look, not only are we maxed to the limit in the ERs, but we've pulled in orthopedic surgeons just to do treatment in the ER. They've got nurses and, and doctors and healthcare professionals that are sick themselves and our patients and are overtaxing the system. So God forbid you should have a heart attack in Italy right now because you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. Um, it didn't look like there was very many people out and about in Italy on Good Morning America this morning. Anyway, they showed the pictures of the empty plazas and right? the, the Colosseum, how it's usually packed and there's like four people there. And that's Italy. It's not a third world country. No. They have one of the best modern medical systems mm-hmm. on earth. They they know medicine. Yeah. And they had, um, I think the numbers were like in the 200s of like 200 cases or so um, last week. And now they're up to several thousand. And so it it multiplied so quickly. And what's really scary for, for me my parents are in their 70s. They live close to Washington State. And there's a lot of movement of people between Washington State and Montana mm-hmm. and Washington State and Idaho and Washington State and California and parts other elsewhere in the United States. So it, it has a high mortality rate. What we can tell because we don't even have enough tests to go to everybody. So there may be people that haven't been tested that are shedding this virus, Kayleen. And uh, it has a high mortality rate among those that are 70 years and older, mm-hmm. 60 years and older. Yeah. I, yeah, this is way more than a meme. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I've been talking a lot. But I'm just in the Betsy. camp of kind of wait and see, wash your hands and stay away from people. And that's just kind of the way that I am. I don't rush out to buy toilet paper. I don't get too excited about these sort of things because, I mean, I traveled in Texas in February twice. and Yeah, you and I both were down in San Antonio. And I washed my hands more than I care to admit. <laughs> I'm a hand washer laughter. anyway. I'm a hand washer anyway because people are nasty. They are. They are. These are things that we should have been doing Anyway, whether there was ever a COVID-19 or ever, you should all be washing your hands. You should be covering your nasty mouths. You should be, you know, practicing good hygiene. We know we should do that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I get the whole, it's easy to make jokes about it though, because that's how humans react to things. Yeah, that that's are how I deal. I deal with, with humor. I mean, yeah. when there's a crappy situation going on in my house, I got to laugh about it. Otherwise I'm going to go freaking nuts. <laughs> Well, this is true. (laughs) But at the same time, folks, you got to take this seriously. I'm I'm not advocating for mass panic and hysteria, but 
didn't you see something just today about from Walmart, Kayleen? Yeah, Walmart had put something out saying they have an emergency plan for for their 1.4 million employees that if they are worried about the the virus that they have a contingency plan for their employment. So they can stay home. Yeah. And not be there to sell you the toilet paper and the <laughs> flu remedies and the other essentials that you need or to even gather them so you can get them delivered to your car. Yeah. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is why people need to take this seriously. It's the ripple effects. It's not that you or I are going to get sick. Chances are you and I in our forties, eh, probably not going to yeah. hit it. However, when you start factoring in the fact that we are so close to, to um, Highway 83, which is a major north and south travel corridor um, across the United States, when you start looking that we, are, that we live on a major highway that's an east-west corridor across the United States, and you start understanding the travel patterns of people, <laughs> not just our travel patterns, but other people coming to your, to your location – that's how the virus spreads. Yeah. That's how any virus spreads. And we know this from the tabletop disease exercises that we've done for 20 some odd years at the, at the livestock level. How many, how many times have we written the story about, Hey, there's another um, animal uh, disease tabletop exercise where mm-hmm. they're sitting around a table and they've gotten everybody together and they go, okay, hypothetical. Cow has, has comes up with foot and mouth disease in this location in Western Kansas, X, Y, Z. The whole purpose of that tabletop exercise is to get everybody in the room to talk about, well, what do you do to stop movement from that herd? What do you do to quarantine anything? Any If she's a dairy cow, to quarantine the milk that comes out of that herd, to stop truck movement, to, tr- to stop people movement. How do you keep those animals being fed? We know more about how to respond to an animal disease outbreak, and we take that more seriously than we do something like COVID-19. Because you can control the animals. You have certain roadblocks that you can put in. You can't control people. If people want to go somewhere bad enough, they're going to go. This is true. This is true. Sick or not. But see, here's the whole point of the media reporting on COVID-19 it's trying to get people to take it seriously enough that they themselves go, you know what? I don't think I need to go to this major function. When South by Southwest shuts down, yeah, that's not just, oh, that's one stage. Oh, that's just one little show. That's the entire region around Austin, Texas, taking a massive, massive economic hit. The, uh, NPR had a story on just the bartenders alone in Austin who were relying on tips from South by Southwest customers to get them through the next three months of bills. And those tips are not there. People are not there. They're not going out and drinking. They're not leaving tips. Therefore, those people aren't going to be able to make rent, which means you're going to have more, um, more need on down the road for, for services and things. It's a ripple effect. It's just like what happens when Walmart shuts down because of their one point some odd million employees, sorry, <laughs> can't get the shelves stocked. Yeah. What happens when trucks stop moving? We know that we're two days away because of on-time delivery. We're two days away from um, empty shelves in this nation. Um, 
we chatted. So later on in the episode, we're going to have an, a conversation that I had with uh, Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State University, your alma mater. Yeah, you should be, folks. <laughs> you should be very proud. He wore blazing orange at uh, Kansas State University's Cattlemen's Day. He wears Day. orange everywhere he goes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. But I talked with Dr. Peel about the coronavirus, and we'll have that, that conversation later on. But he had mentioned that um, one unexpected snafu from the coronavirus hitting China and, and some of our Asian um, customers for beef is that the ports don't have enough people to operate, which means they are shut down, which means they cannot take in ships, which means there are literally several container ships full of cargoes of swinging, you know, frozen beef from the United States that are now roaming the high seas looking for a home. In essence. Nice. My sister works at a feed yard. She said yesterday they were trying to sell fat cattle for a dollar and eight cents. Where are they going to go? Yeah. So the prices were down and I mean, she posted a meme on, on social media that said, if the coronavirus doesn't get me, the cattle market will. I mean, these are things that are going to start affecting our friends and neighbors in rural America. Look at it this way. I go back to um, the average age of our American farmer is 58 years old, which means we have a lot of people that are in that high mortality zone for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's, um, grows higher, your susceptibility grows higher if you have comorbidity, I can't even say it, morbidity, comorbidity, (laughs) um, something like diabetes, heart disease, cancer. Well, gee, that describes a lot of folks in our area, right? You know, people, my mom and dad's age. Yeah. So you've got a susceptible public. And then on top of that, our rural hospitals have six beds at max in some areas. Yeah. I just struggle with the the hype and all the talk about coronavirus when there's only so a handful of people that have died in the United States. Granted, there's been more that have died overseas and stuff, but there's statistics that I read that more people have died from the flu in, in America than, than the coronavirus. I mean, there's other things killing Americans, and this is having such an effect on the ag world have on the markets and the mm-hmm. stock markets and everything. And I, that's I understandable. Sh- I struggle because I don't want to be part of the problem. I don't want to be the one causing all the hype saying, yeah. Oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen when it doesn't. But see, here's the, here's the problem with that comparing COVID-19 to influenza. Remember two different bugs, two different, entirely different. Things. I am aware of that. So saying that flu kills more people than COVID-19. Well, of course it does because it's been around longer. <laughs> so also we have testing methods for flu. If you go to the hospital and you and you say, or in the last you know year or so, you go to the hospital and you present with flu symptoms, they have a test that's readily available to test you. That number gets ticked, right? So of course you're going to see higher numbers. We don't have the tests to actually see if what you've got is the influenza or if you've got COVID-19. Well, and some of the talk they've had with the tests is they come out inconclusive anyway. They're not even 100% anyway testing for, for coronavirus. So, I, I err on the side of the animal livestock disease model of, you know what, guys? Take responsibility for yourselves and your family and don't do things that are going to put you in, in a risk zone. 
So if, if grandma is in the nursing home, maybe don't take the kids there to go see her during cold and flu season. You know what? If you can help it. Um, FaceTime if you can. If your um, husband or wife has cancer or diabetes or, or some other comorbidity issue, perhaps take some, some precautions. You know, we've got friends that, that have had children that have had um, uh, transplants, have had organ transplants. To this day, their immunosystems are so compromised that they, they rely on the herd immunity. That's why there is no herd immunity built up for COVID-19. That's why this is a holy buckets. This is a thing that we should be paying attention to instead of, oh, look, it's a funny meme about toilet paper. I mean, come on. So I get where you're coming from, though, because that's a lot of people's arguments is, well, the flu kills more people. Why don't we take the flu more seriously? Hey, you know what? We should be taking the flu seriously. We should. People need to be washing their hands all the time. That includes you men. How many times do we watch men come out of, their, out of the bathrooms at a pub or something and you know, you know darn good and well they didn't wash their hands? My boys come out of the bathroom. Did you wash your hands? No. Or they tell me they did. I'm like, let me smell them. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's a true mom. Let me smell your hands. Because I have a Bath and Body Works problem, and every soap in the house is smelly soap. So I can smell your hands if you wash your hands or not. <laughs> well, and for those of you that have gone to the store and gotten your toilet paper bale, <laughs> you know what? I, I kind of am with you there, because if I'm going to have to be holed up in the house for 7 to 10 days just to make sure that I don't get somebody else sick... You're going to need that. (laughs) If you're buying a lot of rice and beans because it's non-perishable, you know what? Animal science tells us you're going to need the toilet paper. (laughs) It's a practical thing, Kayleen. Okay, well, I don't plan ahead, so. (laughs) If you have a comment or a thought, you can drop us a line at hbjtalk at hbj.com and let us know, or you can call us at the office at 1-800-452-7171. And uh, do us a favor, head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Um, In this week's episode, we're going to bring you the stories you might have missed in the March 9th print edition. We'll have interviews with Oklahoma State's Dr. Daryl Peel from K-State's Cattlemen's Day. And we'll also have an interview with some folks from Rabo AgriFinance, who we spoke with at Commodity Classic. Kayleen will bring us the latest on grain markets, and of course, we'll have our final thoughts. The news is a little scary, but remember, this situation isn't that different than that pen of auction barn calves. So, cover your mouths, wash your hands, and ride with us on HPJ Talk. Our cover story this week is from copy editor Jennifer Thurer, The Meal Deal. In it, she talks about the dietary guidelines for Americans that will be released in 2020 by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the USDA. People may not realize that these guidelines have a far-reaching effect on their lives, from school nutrition programs to military meal plans to nutritional labeling on packages and onto hospitals and adult care facilities. To learn more about the Dietary Guidelines for Americans, read her story online at www.hpj.com. 
Kayleen brought us an update from Commodity Classic from the National Sorghum Producers Board of Directors meeting. Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation Bill Northey spoke about Chinese markets for sorghum, as well as market facilitation payments and more. Then on page 10, Lacey Newland has coverage of Secretary of Agriculture Sunny Purdue's address at Commodity Classic. He specifically focused on trade, saying, quote, We produce more than we could ever consume here in this nation, and that means exports are always an important part of our whole economic business model, end quote. We'll have more on the news coming out of Commodity Classic in the March 16th edition coming to your mailboxes soon. On our opinions and editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier writes about the coronavirus haunting markets. Seymour clearly writes about the progress of the District of Columbia is making toward becoming the 51st state of the union. And Amanda DeJong, Iowa State Executive Director of USDA Farm Service Agency, writes a letter reminding producers that deadlines to sign up for for ARC and PLC is March 16th, so make those appointments today. Our colleague David Murray from Waterways Journal writes about the $265 million jury verdict in February that claimed dicamba damage on a Missouri peach farm and held BASF and Bayer responsible. Bayer has said it will appeal on the grounds that the damage suffered was due to root rot and fungus and not Bayer's products. Don't forget the 3i show is back for the 66th time. Read about the exhibitors who will be at the show in our special section, and be sure to visit the Western State Bank Expo Center in Dodge City March 19th, 20th, and 21st. After our recording session Tuesday this week, there were several cancellations across the United States of major events due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which, by the way, the WHO World Health Organization just classified it as a pandemic earlier this week. So from the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo to March Madness to spring training and now the Three Eyes Show, people are choosing to cancel events with large amounts of people rather than take the chance that they could spread COVID-19. In regards to the Three Eyes Show, the announcement was made March 13th and it says, quote, After careful consideration, including regular communication with our exhibitors, officials, and attendees, we have made the decision to cancel the 3 I show this year. It is understandable that there may be confusion as this announcement comes a day after being told the event would continue as planned. However, 3 I show staff asked that people be understanding that a widespread pandemic is out of our control. The safety of our exhibitors, attendees, presenters, volunteers, partners, county and city staff will remain our number one priority. If there are any questions or concerns, 3 I show staff ask that people reach out to them at info at 3ishow.com. We'll keep you updated as to the status of the COVID-19 pandemic and its effects on the agricultural sector in upcoming issues of High Plains Journal. And of course, you can always look to us online anytime at www.hpj.com. Thanks and wash those hands. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you.
Hey everybody, this is Jennifer Latsky, and I am here at the Rabo Agri Finance booth at the trade show at the 2020 Commodity Classic. And there's a lot of, of uh, concerns going on right now about the ag economy, ag industry, uh, future predictions, et cetera, et cetera. But right now the hot topic is coronavirus and what's that going to do to our agricultural um, farmers out here in the United States. And we're with Samuel Taylor, who is Vice President of Farm Inputs for Rabo AgriFinance. And Sam, let's talk about the the domino effect of what happens with coronavirus in a place like China. We're not just talking about farmers getting sick. This actually has a more complex, complicated thing to their business practices that, that they may not understand. So can we explain that um, a little bit? Uh, absolutely. So um, I would start this and caveat this by saying that the easiest way to look at this at present is from a current quantified uh, basis, because how this passes forward over the coming time is quite frankly speculation. So from an input space, what we need to be aware of as farmers is the sheer exposure to the Chinese of our supply chains. And so for a GNO, you're talking about the NPK and also the active ingredients in ag chem, but then also through other parts of the ag system, you're talking about amino acids and animal nutrition. So we have a huge exposure to China and ostensibly what happens in China will have an impact on what we do and how we put things in the ground going forward. Um, if we break this down into the macronutrients of uh, nitrogen, phosphate, potash, there's kind of different machinations between each of the macronutrients. But to put a little quantification behind this, phosphates, you've got the um, outbreakers in the Hubei province in China, which accounts for about 33 to 36% of Chinese production of finished fertilizer. So your MAP, your DAP, TSP in particular. We currently estimate that those facilities are running at about uh, 60 clo 55 to 60% closed, the remaining amount running at somewhere between full, full utilization and below optimal utilization. So this has a significant impact on the S&D component of uh, phosphate in the global market, not just in the domestic market. Um, one of the main issues that is causing this has been that the coronavirus outbreak really materialized in the Chinese efforts to curtail the outbreak. They happened in and around the Chinese New Year when a lot of the domestic labor market returns home and have been unable as such because of restrictions to return back to um, uh, work and this is preventing the operations from really getting up and going. So it's like for their Chinese New Year, it's like us going home for Christmas. Yeah, exactly. uh, we or all Thanksgiving. Or, or, Thanksgiving. or Thanksgiving. Yeah. So we went home for Christmas or Thanksgiving. There happened to be an outbreak, yep. and they were stuck where they were at. They couldn't get back to their original homes. They went to their home homes, yep. moms and dads and grands and all those, exactly. and now they can't be get back to their homes and their jobs, and those plants are. At, at a reduced capacity now. Uh, exactly. And this is not just obviously for the uh, phosphates, this is infecting the entire economy. So this is where we move into the macro sphere and also into the industrial components and how this translates through into 
uh, nitrogen and uh, ammonia derivatives. So China are a large importer of ammonia for industrial purposes. Think about chemicals, think about clothing, think about these other things we don't necessarily use as a, as a farmer. Um, and so if you have a short-term industrial shutdown, that creates an oversupply of ammonia on the market. You could see some prices trickle down in some of the North American benchmarks. And similarly, if this then has a further contagion and this pushes into uh, an economic recession, industrial is something that gets hit pretty hard. We could see this um, have a longer lasting effect and create a little bit of looseness in the nitrogen market uh, or particularly some of the port uh, benchmarks in the North American market. And that's really critical because we're going into planting season yep. and that's when farmers need their nitrogen if they're going to start uh, applying it while they're planting, right? Sure. I mean, there's a few other machinations that are affecting the North American market at present, and that is some of the kind of uh, European tariffs that have imposed on North America and Russia and has shifted some of the UAN trade flow, uh, supply flows, trade flows into the North American market or prevented the North American operations from exporting quite so much. This then trickles down into the urea market, which puts a bit of a dampener on that. So if we're looking at the side dress, there's, there's possibly some optimism short term for nitrogen application uh, in North America. So that's a good point. I mean, we're trying to find the silver linings here in coronavirus, which is, <laughs> is pretty difficult, I've got to say. Um, similarly, the, the K market, the potash market, the S&D the globally is pretty out of balance. You have huge port inventories in China. And basically, the price benchmark is usually set by the Chinese um, uh, contract agreements with the global consor producer consortiums. And this is usually done by now. It, initial thoughts have been this would be done by um, end of Q1. We're now thinking this is probably going to come more to fruition at Q2. And this really sets the pricing benchmark. But we still have huge inventories in and around the globe. So we're not expecting any huge increase in potash prices going forward. So if you are a risk tolerant farmer, possibly look for some downward pricing on K and N derivatives. And also if you are a very conservative farmer, you might want to look at locking in your phosphate prices if you need to do any fall application, oh, spring application, because we could see some upward momentum. Though I'm not forecasting a huge movement in upward momentum because you've still got North African producers being quite aggressive and there's still a lot of volume coming out of Saudi Arabia. So we, we do have a decent level of um, supply on the market at present. Okay, so um, is there anything about the coronavirus that farmers need to understand? Um, you know, we talked about the inputs and, and the trickle down, um, the, the domino effect is, is, is essentially, but uh, we've got a lot of ships that typically go back to um, China and, and parts of the, of the um, Asian, um, Asian ports filled with our commodities. Um, we do a, a, quite a fair bit of um, container shipping of commodities. Are those containers here? Um, do we have those? Can we can we go back? Or is that backhaul available to us? Um, so you have to look at this through a quantitative approach and not allow your political proclivities to blur the risks that lie ahead. Um, farmers have been hit quite significantly by the trade war. Um, the phase one deal has been implemented to try and support that. We have not seen commodity prices move since the January 15th 
uh, move upwards since the January 15th signing of that. We would have hoped that that would have enabled some marketing opportunities for farmers, some opportunities to lie in, lock in higher margins. We haven't seen this. I think the market has generally skeptical of any price movements until we see volumes going. We've seen indications that the Chinese are still willing to purchase from other geographies before the US. We've seen some pullback on domestic Chinese policies, which might have a catalyst for commodity prices to move upwards. So you have to bear two things in mind. Don't get too excited till you see these volumes go. And the other thing is whether the current status of coronavirus, whether that could act as a uh, precluder to significant volumes moving to China in the near to medium term. So I'd love to be positive, but it's you've got to be very impartial to the current situation. You, you really have to take the heart out of it and you have to be very pragmatic when we're talking about markets and especially global trade. Exactly. That would be what I would say. Okay, so we're on uh, day two, day three. I don't know, Commodity Classic just keeps going and going, it seems. But um, I'm sure you've had a lot of farmers stop by the booth. What are some of the questions that they ask you and what's top of their minds this year? I'd say the three things that have been raised consistently have been uh, the coronavirus and how that's going to impact us. And we're all very cautious on this because none of us here are virologists. So we look at it from a quantitative analysis of the status quo at the moment. Um, if things change, there could be significant changes both in the short term, but also you're looking in the long term. The second thing would be the phase one deal. What we think about it, how this is going to play out and when farmers are going to see some upside. Because as I've said, we haven't really seen the commodity markets move so much and allowing farmers to create marketing opportunities. And then the third thing is the possibility of, on the back of a treat from President Trump two weeks ago, whether we could see another market facilitation program. So we have no insight into this. Um, so these are the three areas of conversation that we've had. We've been happy to engage people in conversation about this. Um, but those are the three specters that we're talking about. Um, any final thoughts about uh, what your work does and how it translates to um, farmers understanding how it works for how they can use that information to make decisions on their farm or any other thoughts about what the next year, what 2020, the rest of 2020 holds or even the next 10 years or so? Yeah, so I'd say that we attend a lot of conferences and a lot of events and we hold Rabo uh, agri-finance events for our customers and farmers in different parts of America at different time of year. I would say that our perspective is very synergistic with the farmer. We don't look at this from quarter to quarter. We obviously do from a market's perspective, but we are looking at the long-term trends as are farmers who want to pass on their farms to the next generation. So come find us, speak to us, and we'll be happy to talk to you about what we see for longer term and how we could potentially help you help the farming community out going forward. All right. So if they have questions and they're not at Ag or Commodity Classic 2020, uh, where can they go for more information? I go, yeah, I go to raboag.com and find your nearest uh, relationship manager in your uh, state or county or district, get in contact with them, have a chat with them. And we generally are very happy to come and meet with you guys. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much, Sam, uh, for uh, joining us today on HPJ Talk. And folks, if you want to learn more about what we talked about today or any of the other topics that we covered here at 2020 Commodity Classic, you can always visit us online anytime at www.hpj.com. Thanks, Sam. Thanks very much, Jennifer. So, Kayleen, that conversation 
with uh, Rabobank sure started me pondering about the ripple effects a pandemic like COVID-19 might have on our trade. So I caught Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State University in Manhattan before he was set to speak at the 2020 K-State Cattlemen's Day. I wanted to know what COVID-19 meant to cattle markets and what 2020 might hold in store. We're here at K-State's Cattlemen's Day 2020, and I'm with Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State University. It's not often we get Oklahoma State boys to come on all the way up to Manhattan, Kansas to talk economics, sir. That's right. It's good to be here. I haven't actually been on campus in a long time, so it's good to be here. Um, you are the one bright shining spot of orange in a sea of purple. I'm a dot of orange in a sea of purple today, and so I'm okay with that. that that's fine. You know, whenever I go down to Oklahoma, um, I'm the dot of purple in a sea of orange, so it's, it's a good. Yeah, it goes around, right? <laughs> well, today you're going to be talking about um, economics and um, the market forecast and, and all of the outside influences that are going into shaping our cattle markets the next quarter to the next year or so. What are some trends, what are some storylines that we're seeing um, on, the, on the world stage that might have some direct impacts for Kansas cattlemen? Well, you know, uh, that's my focus today is on these global beef markets. They're changing very, very rapidly. So if you look at the last five years, we've seen a complete, um, you know, change in these global markets. And the key, you know, sort of center to all of that really is China. Um, China has been uh, increasing beef imports very rapidly. Um, and so very quickly they come to dominate global beef flows. Um, and then, of course, now we've, we've had uh, African swine fever in China. That's created a protein deficit, which is also playing into not only pork, uh, but beef and poultry as well. That's part of the story now. And then most recently, of course, we've got the coronavirus impacts. Uh, and so, um, you know, and that caused enormous problems in China initially, lots of logistics issues, but now, of course, it's rippled over into much broader global markets, and we're still not sure exactly how it's going to play out in terms of the macro economy in the U.S. and around the world. Well, and the coronavirus is the, the big hot topic that everybody's a little bit worried about today. You and I were chatting. It's not so much that people are getting sick and not eating, and the demand's not there, but it's there's nobody to work the ports. There's nobody work in, working in the factories and the plants and things in China, right? That was the big in, initial impact was China really took a very aggressive move and just really shut things down. Everybody stayed home. So yeah, the, the ports were empty. They could not receive products, so cold storage shipments. They got backed up where there was literally no place to plug them in and keep them cold, so they were turning away ship loads of cold product, the refrigerated product. Um, you know, factories are shut down. Uh, the U.S. relies on uh, China for a lot of ingredients for our ag chemicals and uh, fertilizer. And so you disrupt those supply chains and there's a big ripple effect. And then, of course, later as, uh, you know, the coronavirus as a human health issue migrates around the world. Um, and we're still, again, trying to figure out just how big a deal it's going to be in the U.S. Uh, in some other countries. And so you disrupt a lot of travel a lot of tourism, and those are direct economic impacts that are going to impact uh, the global economy. Um, you and I were talking earlier again. It just sounds like a really good opportunity to be a meat pirate on the high seas. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff in transit right now and, and in flux. And, yeah, it's just, you know, again, we, we've the way our world has evolved with these supply chains, both directions, um, we're finding out now just how vulnerable we are when something causes a problem in those. So it's a, it's a big challenge for us. Well, we kind of had a, a taste of it, um, that disruption 
portion of it when uh, Tyson at Holcomb um, caught on fire last That's year. Right. So where are we at? We're, uh, you know, about half a year out after that or almost close to a year out after that. Um, where are we on the, the recovery scale, as you would say, from, from what happened there? And, and have we bounced back a little bit in the elasticity, elasticity of the markets? Well, I think we have. You know, Tyson got that plant back online kind of through the month of December, really fully into January. Uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, I think we've gotten uh, gotten past that. Um, you know, we and of course, we, we now have new inventory numbers, so we know that cattle numbers have peaked. And so we're going to see more stable supplies going forward. We won't be challenging that, um, you know, that uh, packing capacity quite as much. We're going to stay pretty close to it. Uh, so we're still vulnerable. If something were to happen, it would cause another problem. And so uh, the other thing that I, you know, I pointed out uh, to producers recently is that uh, the coronavirus thing is a different kind of a black swan compared to something like the Holcomb plant fire or even BSE if you go back all the way to 2003. Those were specific events, they happen, and then you can pretty quickly start to assess a timeline for recovery. Coronavirus is a much different deal. It's still evolving. We don't know where it peaks out. We don't know when it peaks out. And we don't know how long it'll be once we think it's peaked out to a recovery. So it's a much more uncertain kind of an environment um, you know, cattle markets have taken a big hit recently as a result of this, the stock market and the futures markets and then ultimately cash markets. Uh, but there's probably no quick fix to that. There's no news that could come out in the next week or two that would definitively allow those markets to bounce right back. It's not like we can reopen a, a hospital. It's not like we can reopen just, you know, magic wave your wand kind of thing. Yeah, it's not a single uh, issue, single event. So it's a much different situation, I think, probably. In fact, I got asked the other day from one of my younger colleagues, have we ever seen anything like this? And I honestly can't think of anything, certainly in my career, that's like this. I mean, it's maybe a little bit like the recession a decade ago, but even that was a little bit different. Uh, so I really think this is kind of unprecedented in terms of the kinds of impacts we're going to have to deal with here for the next few weeks or months. All right. So you mentioned the stock markets and we had a drastic drop and, you know, we're, we're coming back again um, this last week or so. What does the, the stock market, what, when, what happens in New York City? How does that actually affect cattlemen in the High Plains, in Kansas and Oklahoma, up and down the, the High Plains? Well, you know, obviously the stock market is holding a lot of equity out there. And, and the thing about this from a general standpoint, in fact, I saw a cartoon the other day that basically said, when did we hit the sell everything button? Because typically when, you know, there's macroeconomic uncertainty, money moves from one place to another, but it doesn't just pull its horns in, which is really what's happened here. And the biggest immediate impact then is on the futures market. The commodity markets, the commodity futures markets are going to follow that stock market and those financial markets pretty closely. So that was the immediate impact, but those are severe enough that they will then affect cash markets. And so uh, it's kind of a ripple effect down there. Um, and again, uh, the markets are going to be jumpy and they bounce back a little bit one day, but we really can't definitively, uh, you know, get confident that, that we're past this thing yet. So it's going to take some time. Okay, so other big question in the room. I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but the effect of the 2020 election on cattle markets. Lord knows, nobody has a crystal ball. But um, have you been asked what what would that do to cattle markets, and um, you know what are our options when we go to the ballot box? 
Well, you know, I, I try not to get into politics in general, uh, but I do try to look at the economic and the market impacts of that a little bit. And I think the biggest thing right now is, with everything we just said, this is just one more piece of uncertainty in the markets um, in terms of, you know, whichever way it might go. And so we really didn't need this on top of everything else. And I think the uncertainty is the biggest factor in the market right now. We don't know what reality is. Markets don't like uncertainty. They react very negatively to uncertainty. And it comes from lots of different places right now. Uh, and so I think that's the thing going forward. From a producer standpoint, I think you have to stay as nimble as you can. I don't think you probably want to change your overall plans too much at this point, but I think you've got to watch this stuff, which is all way bigger than the cattle industry, and be prepared to make changes or, you know, I, be prepared to, to spend more time on defense than offense as we go through this year, I think. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Peel. Is there any uh, final thoughts that you have for cattlemen? Well, again, I think we kind of covered it there. Uh, you know, uh, we're in a very positive situation in general from a cattle market standpoint. If you look internally to the industry, supply and demand are both in pretty good shape, pretty good balance. There's no major sort of things that need to get fixed internally. It's just all of these external factors that's really playing in the market. So you got to watch that big picture. Um, and, and it's really hard to assess exactly how they're going to play into our markets. There's so many dimensions to these impacts. So it's not easy, certainly not anything that we can uh, resolve anytime soon, but uh, that's what we got to watch going forward. Well, hey, thanks again, Dr. Peel. And um, if you want more information on uh, what Dr. Peel talked about today at K-State Cattlemen's Day or any of the other uh, speakers and presentations from the event, you can always catch us online anytime at www.hpj.com. Thanks again. You're very welcome. Jenny, it sure sounds like this is not a topic that's going to go away anytime soon. You're sure right there, Kayleen, as your sister over at the feedlot has, uh, has discovered and others that might be in the same situation. So if you out there have any questions or thoughts and want to share them, be sure to write to us at hpjtalk at hpj.com and watch for future stories and editions of High Plains Journal. Your grain market prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on March 3rd. Corn was up at $3.66. Wheat was up at $4.13. Milo was up at $3.21. And soybeans were up at $8.04. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for the wheat added value issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes March 16th with a story from Jenny on the 40th anniversary of U.S. Wheat Associates. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at hpjtalk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Be sure to watch for the next issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes March 9th with a story from our copy editor, Jennifer Thewer. 
and look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Thanks again for riding along with us, folks, as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day. This country life is for me. Ride with us, HPJ. Ride.